Chapters 5 and 6 of Book 1 of Les Miserables, Volume 5 by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Les Miserables, Volume 5 by Victor Hugo, translated by Isabelle Florence Hepgood. Book the First, The War Between Four Walls. Chapter 5. The Horizon Which One Beholds from the Summit of a Barricade. The situation of all in that fatal hour and that pitiless place had as result and culminating point Enjolras' supreme melancholy. Enjolras bore within him the plenitude of the revolution. He was incomplete, however, so far as the absolute can be so. He had too much of Saint-Just about him and not enough of Anacarsis Clutes. Still, his mind, in the society of the friends of the ABC, had ended by undergoing a certain polarization from Combeferre's ideas. For some time past, he had been gradually emerging from the narrow form of dogma and had allowed himself to incline to the broadening influence of progress, and he had come to accept as a definitive and magnificent evolution the transformation of the great French Republic into the immense human republic. As far as the immediate means were concerned, a violent situation being given, he wished to be violent. On that point he never varied, and he remained of that epic and redoubtable school which is summed up in the words 83. Enjolras was standing erect on the staircase of paving stones, one elbow resting on the stock of his gun. He was engaged in thought. He quivered, as at the passage of prophetic breaths. Places where death is have these effects of tripods. A sort of stifled fire darted from his eyes, which were filled with an inward look. All at once he threw back his head, his blonde locks fell back like those of an angel on the somber quadriga made of stars. They were like the mane of a startled lion in the flaming of a halo, and Enjolras cried, Citizens, do you picture the future to yourselves? The streets of cities inundated with light, green branches on the thresholds, nations sisters, men just, old men blessing children, the past loving the present, thinkers entirely at liberty, believers on terms of full equality, for religion, heaven, God the direct priest, human conscience become an altar, no more hatreds, the fraternity of the workshop and the school, for sole penalty and recompense fame, work for all, right for all, peace over all, no more bloodshed, no more wars, happy mothers. To conquer matter is the first step. To realize the ideal is the second. Reflect on what progress has already accomplished. Formerly, the first human races beheld with terror the hydra pass before their eyes, breathing on the waters, the dragon which vomited flame, the griffin who was the monster of the air and who flew with the wings of an eagle and the talons of a tiger. 
fearful beasts which were above man. Man nevertheless spread his snares, consecrated by intelligence, and finally conquered these monsters. We have vanquished the Hydra, and it is called the locomotive. We are on the point of vanquishing the griffin. We already grasp it, and it is called the balloon. On the day when this Promethean task shall be accomplished, and when man shall have definitely harnessed to his will the triple chimera of antiquity, the hydra, the dragon, and the griffin, he will be the master of water, fire, and of air. He will be for the rest of animated creation that which the ancient gods formerly were to him. Courage and onward. Citizens, whither are we going? To science made government. To the force of things become the sole public force. To the natural law having in itself its sanction and its penalty and promulgating itself by evidence. To a dawn of truth corresponding to a dawn of day. We are advancing to the union of peoples. We are advancing to the unity of man. No more fictions, no more parasites. The real governed by the true, that is the goal. Civilization will hold its assizes at the summit of Europe and later on at the center of continents in a grand parliament of the intelligence. Something similar has already been seen. The Amphictyons had two sittings a year, one at Delphos, the seat of the gods, and the other at Thermopylae, the place of heroes. Europe will have her Amphictyons. The globe will have its Amphictyons. France bears this sublime future in her breast. This is the gestation of the 19th century. That which Greece sketched out is worthy of being finished by France. Listen to me, you, ye valiant artisan, man of the republic. I revere you. Yes, you clearly behold the future. Yes, you are right. You had neither father nor mother. ye, you adopted humanity for your mother and right for your father. You are about to die, that is to say to triumph here. Citizens, whatever happens today through our defeat as well as through our victory, it is a revolution that we are about to create. As conflagrations light up a whole city, so revolutions illuminate the whole human race. And what is the revolution that we shall cause? We have just told you the revolution of the true. From a political point of view, there is but a single principle, the sovereignty of man over himself. This sovereignty of myself over myself is called liberty. Where two or three of these sovereignties are combined, the state begins. But in that association there is no abdication. Each sovereignty concedes a certain quantity of itself for the purpose of forming the common right. This quantity is the same for all of us. This identity of concession which each makes to all is called equality. Common right is nothing else than the protection of all beaming on the right of each. This protection of all over each is called fraternity. The point of intersection of all these assembled sovereignties is called society. This intersection being a junction, this point is a knot. Hence what is called the social bond. Some say social contract, which is the same thing. The word contract 
being etymologically formed with the idea of a bond. Let us come to an understanding about equality, for if liberty is the summit, equality is the base. Equality, citizens, is not wholly a surface vegetation, a society of great blades of grass and tiny oaks, a proximity of jealousies which render each other null and void. Legally speaking, it is all aptitudes possessed of the same opportunity. Politically, it is all votes possessed of the same weight. Religiously, it is all consciences possessed of the same right. Equality has an organ, gratuitous and obligatory instruction. The right to the alphabet, that is where the beginning must be made. The primary school imposed on all, the secondary school offered to all, that is the law. From an identical school, an identical society will spring. Yes, instruction, light, light, everything comes from light, and to it everything returns. Citizens, the 19th century is great, but the 20th century will be happy. Then there will be nothing more like the history of old. We shall no longer, as today, have to fear a conquest, an invasion, an usurpation, a rivalry of nations, arms in hand, an interruption of civilization depending on a marriage of kings, on a birth in hereditary tyrannies, a partition of peoples by a congress, a dismemberment because of the failure of a dynasty, a combat of two religions meeting face to face like two bucks in the dark on the bridge of the infinite. We shall no longer have to fear famine, farming out, prostitution arising from distress, misery from the failure of work, and the scaffold and the sword and battles and the ruffianism of chance in the forest of events. One might almost say there will be no more events. We shall be happy. The human race will accomplish its law as the terrestrial globe accomplishes its law. Harmony will be reestablished between the soul and the star. The soul will gravitate around the truth as the planet around the light. Friends, the present hour in which I am addressing you is a gloomy hour. But these are terrible purchases of the future. A revolution is a toll. Oh, the human race will be delivered, raised up, consoled. We affirm it on this barrier. Whence should proceed that cry of love if not from the heights of sacrifice? Oh, my brothers, this is the point of junction of those who think and of those who suffer. This barricade is not made of paving stones, nor of joists, nor of bits of iron. It is made of two heaps, a heap of ideas and a heap of woes. Here misery meets the ideal. The day embraces the night and says to it, I am about to die, and thou shalt be born again with me. From the embrace of all desolations, faith leaps forth. Sufferings bring hither their agony, and ideas their immortality. This agony and this immortality are about to join and constitute our death. Brothers, he who dies here dies in the radiance of the future, and we are entering a tomb all flooded with the dawn. 
Enjolras paused rather than became silent. His lips continued to move silently as though he were talking to himself, which caused them all to gaze attentively at him in the endeavor to hear more. There was no applause, but they whispered together for a long time. Speech being a breath, the rustling of intelligences resembles the rustling of leaves. Chapter 6 Marius Haggard, Javert Laconic. Let us narrate what was passing in Marius's thoughts. Let the reader recall the state of his soul. We have just recalled it. Everything was a vision to him now. His judgment was disturbed. Marius, let us insist on this point, was under the shadow of the great dark wings which are spread over those in the death agony. He felt that he had entered the tomb. It seemed to him that he was already on the other side of the wall, and he no longer beheld the faces of the living except with the eyes of one dead. How did Monsieur Fauchelevent come there? Why was he there? What had he come there to do? Marius did not address all these questions to himself. Besides, since our despair has this peculiarity that it envelops others as well as ourselves, it seemed logical to him that all the world should come thither to die. Only, he thought of Cosette with a pang at his heart. However, M. Fauchelevent did not speak to him, did not look at him, and had not even the air of hearing him when Marius raised his voice to say, I know him. As far as Marius was concerned, this attitude of M. Fauchelevent was comforting, and if such a word can be used for such impressions, we should say that it pleased him. He had always felt the absolute impossibility of addressing that enigmatical man who was, in his eyes, both equivocal and imposing. Moreover, it had been a long time since he had seen him, and this still further augmented the impossibility for Marius's timid and reserved nature. The five chosen men left the barricade by way of Mont de Tourlaine. They bore a perfect resemblance to members of the National Guard. One of them wept as he took his leave. Before setting out, they embraced those who remained. When the five men sent back to life had taken their departure, Enjolras thought of the man who had been condemned to death. He entered the tap-room. Javert, still bound to the post, was engaged in meditation. "'Do you want anything?' Enjolras asked him. Javert replied, "'When are you going to kill me?' "'Wait. We need all our cartridges just at present.' "'Then give me a drink,' said Javert. Enjolras himself offered him a glass of water, and as Javert was pinioned, he helped him to drink. "'Is that all?' inquired Enjolras. "'I am uncomfortable against this post,' replied Javert. "'You are not tender to have left me to pass the night here. "'Bind me as you please, but you surely might lay me out on a table like that other man.' and with a motion of the head he indicated the body of Monsieur Mabeuf. There was, as the reader will remember, a long, broad table at the end of the room on which they had been running bullets and making cartridges. 
All the cartridges having been made and all the powder used, this table was free. At Enjolras' command, four insurgents unbound Javert from the post. While they were loosing him, a fifth held a bayonet against his breast. Leaving his arms tied behind his back, they placed about his feet a slender but stout whipcord, as is done to men on the point of mounting the scaffold, which allowed him to take steps about fifteen inches in length, and made him walk to the table at the end of the room where they laid him down, closely bound about the middle of the body. By way of further security and by means of a rope fastened to his neck, they added to the system of ligatures which rendered every attempt at escape impossible, that sort of bond which is called in prisons a martingale, which, starting at the neck, forks on the stomach and meets the hands after passing between the legs. While they were binding Javert, a man standing on the threshold was surveying him with singular attention. The shadow cast by this man made Javert turn his head. He raised his eyes and recognized Jean Valjean. He did not even start, but dropped his lids proudly and confined himself to the remark, It is perfectly simple. End of Book One Chapters Five and Six